0: ultimately that's what social selling is about social first selling second selling happens automatically when you learn how to be a decent social person learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape this is digital marketing masters with matt and carrie rouse
1: welcome to digital marketing masters i'm your host matt rouse and today my guest is the one and only joe applebaum joe how are you I'm doing
0: fabulous. Thank you for having me on
1: the program. Hey, it's great. Second time on the show. You're one of you're in the two-time club now. There's all kinds of fabulous prizes. We'll talk about that later, I'm sure. Joe, since we had you on the show before, I, I kind of know a little bit more about you already. And so you are the CEO of Ajax Union, which is a marketing agency in New York, New York. Yep. Also, you run Evergreen Networking is the name of...
0: Yeah. Evergreen Networking is the name of an organization that creates courses around LinkedIn and other products.
1: Right. And you also are like a prolific LinkedIn content creator. You've got stuff on there so much. I can't watch it all.
0: I just crossed over 30,000 followers.
1: Nice. That's some good work on the LinkedIn. I think I have 1,200 now. Like, yay.
0: There's a lot that I want to share. There's a lot of information out there. So, you know, for me, I'm just constantly testing out to see what's working and what's not working because what worked yesterday is not working today. And what works today is probably not going to work tomorrow. So you got to keep testing.
1: Right. You know, there's kind of like an arms race when it comes to social media, right? As you start to do something, other people see it's working. So they start doing it. So you got to find something
0: new. Yeah. Yeah. You got to keep changing it up.
1: Let me ask you this. So I'm out in Portland, Oregon, and you're on on the East Coast in New York. Obviously, in a, in a larger city, and we talked a little bit before about, you know, kind of what's going on with the COVID there. Has your business priorities changed since the start of the pandemic?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we just started, we didn't know that we were going to be affected. We had no idea because nobody knew what's going to happen. So come March, everything's normal or my clients are fine. All of a sudden, the end of March happens and I start getting a call from almost every single client, either cut my container or let's pause because we're closed. And so all of a sudden, out of the blue, we go from an organization that's doing okay and we're growing to an organization where we lost 75% of our reoccurring revenue, just like in a few weeks. So our priorities completely changed. We used to be very, very selective with who we take on as clients. And we'd focus on taking on clients that are retainer, not projects. So we changed that and we kind of opened the door a little bit more. We just signed up another B2C client. So we're a B2B agency focused. Specifically on building funnels for B two B companies, but we're going to do some. We're going to do a video project. We're going to do some. You know, we're going to do stuff that's a little bit outside of the general scope of what we typically do. We're capable of doing those things, but we didn't have to take things on. Now we kind of have to take things on as we continue to do what we need to do. Also for Evergreen, we also lost almost all of our revenue. So over there, we had about a ninety percent drop in recurring revenue. So what we did there was we said, okay, listen, nobody's buying right now. So let's just give out one hundred thousand dollars worth of education to people that were affected by COVID. So that's what we did. And we helped so many people. So many people like, oh, my God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I also doubled down on how many webinars I'm doing. So I'm busier now than I was when things were open.
1: me, too. So when your business at Evergreen Networking, was it because you couldn't do the in-person classes anymore? Or do you think it was more of a consumer confidence spending kind of thing?
0: It was a consumer confidence spending thing. People were just like calling up. They're like, listen, I lost my job. I was furloughed. I don't have money or my business is closed down right now. I need to conserve my capital. People were looking through their credit cards and basically saying, how do I minimize how much I'm spending on my credit cards? And that's basically what happened.
1: Oh, West here. I mean, we saw a much lower drop and I think that that's just because a lot less businesses out here had to close for one and also we're pretty diversified at our company so we have clients in Hawaii Arizona Washington and Oregon and even international clients so a lot of that kind of helped us weather the storm a little bit I think even though it was kind of accidental like we have all these clients all over the place just because that's what people had known other people and referred us it wasn't by design right But yeah, let's talk about social selling for a minute. Uh, So at Evergreen Networking, you teach social selling. And how has social selling changed now on social media?
0: So what people don't realize is that instead of focusing on selling, now it's time to focus on connecting. I just sent out a WhatsApp message to 100 people. My message was, how has the pandemic affected you? I sent out a message to close to 3,000 LinkedIn connections. My question was, how are things with you? And I had sent different, a variety of different messages to test out which one works. The ones that worked the best was the one me saying, everything's okay, considering the fact that we have no toilet paper. People love that. People like that was the hottest responder because I have 22,000 connections. So I'd like to send out a message to all my connections, but I first tested it out to about 10% of my connections, a little more than 10% of my connections to kind of see which message is the best. And now that I know which message is the best, I'm going to craft new ones based on that message, you know, around the toilet paper concept. People really want to hear, people want a little humor and so on. So social selling is not so much about selling now. It's more about connecting because a lot of people, you have to be very careful. People are closed down. People are out of business, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. So for, you know, so what I tell, so somebody in a catering company called me, he's like, dude, how do I sell now? How do I close business? I said, well, you're in the catering business. So unless you're going to pivot what you're doing and change what you're doing right now and do something else that's not catering, I mean, your kitchen is closed down and your clients are closed down. So like, what are you going to do? So I said, instead, this is what I recommend you do. Think about where you want to be in three years from now. Think about where you want to be in one year from now. And then start setting up meetings now with people that are super influential at law firms and accounting firms that you can serve. But because they're closed right now, they don't need you to serve them right now. So instead, build a relationship with them right now because they're all available to get on the phone with you and then set up a follow-up call for 2 months from now, for 3 months from now. When things are open up and they're too busy and like they're not, you're not going to have time to reach out to them then, but if you already have something in the calendar for 2 3 months from now, they may want to change it then, but you already got something in the calendar for later to kind of check in again. So now's a great time for you to build initial relationships with people and then set yourself up for success in Q3, Q4. By getting through to people now with the excuse of, listen, COVID is here and the entire planet Earth changed. This is something that is an incredible opportunity for you to reach out to the 150 people that you haven't spoken to in the past five years and that are possibly very influential for your business. And before that, you were scared or you felt like it was weird to randomly reach out to people. It is not random to reach out to somebody every single week now just to see how they're doing. Are they still healthy? Do they need anything? Do they want an introduction to somebody? Just kind of checking in. How are you coping with, with, you know, every single week that goes by, things change rapidly. I just reached out to a client of mine who I was doing coaching and he, he had to pause because his whole business is on pause. And I reached out to him and he told me his mother's in the hospital in critical condition. And so I'm chatting with him, and he's like, you know what? You're one of the only people that actually reached out to me to see how I'm doing and how my mother's doing now. And now I'm able to reach out to him every other day. It's on my calendar to kind of just say, hey, how's your mother doing? How's your mother? He'll never forget that for the rest of his life. Whether his mother survives or doesn't, the key is I took the time to reach out to those people that need it the most, that need the support the most. And, you know, I'm going through things in my life too, and people are reaching out to me, and when I share with them, and then they follow up, It becomes a very powerful relationship. It shows that you really care about me as the individual. And that makes me want to do business with you. That makes me want to trust you. And ultimately, that's what social selling is about. Social first, selling second. Selling happens automatically when you learn how to be a decent social person.
1: Right. And I think that's a really good tip is getting on people's calendars and their radar now so that you can get those meetings later. Because I kind of subscribe to the theory of people's businesses start to open up and stuff again there's going to be a huge wave of people trying to get all those things that they couldn't get while stuff was closed and it's going to be slow at first but I think it's really going to be like a huge almost like a tsunami of business right and then it's going to kind of die off again and then I think it probably pick up and for where we are in Oregon I'd say it's probably going to be End of Q2, beginning of Q3 is going to be the beginning of the wave. It's going to kind of build up, it'll lull a little bit, and then probably have a pretty solid Q4. Out your side of the country, it may be later. I mean, it might not be till Q4 that you guys really see some business start to come
0: back. Who knows? I mean, it also depends on the industry. It depends, you know, like if things fire up again and people start getting sick and the wave, you know, goes the wrong way. So who knows what could happen over there. But I'm optimistic that things will go back. It may happen Q3, may happen Q4, it may happen next year, but eventually everything will go back to normal and things will be great. But it's just a matter of, can you wait? And some people, you know, 80% of people are living paycheck to paycheck. So if you're living paycheck to paycheck, it becomes very, very difficult for you to get your basic human needs met.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of people really need help and not just like, in the way of helping them, you know, maybe with their business or something, but if they like can't eat, I mean, that's a whole different problem. Right. And I know there's a lot of organizations that help people who have, you know, need food assistance or or rent assistance and things like that out in New York, but are, are a lot of them aren't even open right now. Right.
0: Yeah. A lot of places are not open. I mean, it's crazy how things have changed so quickly even just the subway, right? Taking the subway, taking the public transportation and looking around, you'll notice it's like a ghost town, the middle of the day or during rush hour, nobody's on the subway. A couple people, you know, sprinkled across the subway. I just took it on Friday kind of just to check it out. And it's, it's just crazy to see how things have changed. There's no traffic on the highways. There's no congestion. New York City looks like a ghost town. It's just crazy to see how, how things have changed. And you know, you can't walk. You wait online to walk into a supermarket, you know, with your mask on. I mean, so many things, so many things have changed.
1: So people talk about the world going back to normal and stuff. And I was actually talking with Carrie, my wife, Carrie, this morning about so when when there's a major kind of shift in how things work, especially when there's like a change in culture, a lot of times people don't see it until after it's already here. And I think we're seeing that right now. I think that like World 2.0 is here now. And just people haven't adapted to the fact that some of these changes are going to be permanent. I think a good example is automatic doors so that, you know, you don't have to touch the door handles payment that you can use with your phone touchless payment. Right. Things like here, when you go to the grocery store, you go to like a department store or something, they have plexiglass shields. Between the cashiers and you, they have antiviral things like screens that they're putting over top of like the touch terminals for payments. They have someone there who wipes down all the equipment between every customer. They wipe down the belt. You put your food on every single time. Like everybody has to be distanced a certain distance apart in line. I don't think those things are going to go away. I think a lot of that stuff is permanent.
0: It's kind of like the TSA, right? Think about what happened to airport. Used to be that you would pay for a ticket on an airplane and you would walk onto the airplane. That's what would happen. That's the whole thing. That was the whole thing, like a bus. You would walk onto the airplane just like you walked onto a bus. And now look at what happened. It hasn't changed. There's not, there's not that much terrorism going on, but once they implemented security, yeah, sure they have TSA and they have pre-check and they have clear and they have all the stuff. But TSA ain't going away. Screening before airplanes, never again. Not after nine eleven, and it's been a decade already. No one would to hijack an airplane, but, you know, if somebody really wanted to hijack an airplane, they can get past security. But a lot of it's because the fear of the public, they're trying to deal with the fear of the public and the fear of germs, the fear of viruses. I went to China last year. Everybody's walking around with masks last year in China, before the pandemic. Like this, I'm talking about April.
1: Right, just normal.
0: <laughs> normal. And I thought because in Beijing it's the air. No, it's because people are afraid of SARS. Lots of people are walking around with masks in China. It's a normal thing to walk around with a mask in China. In New York, that was not normal. Now, for the rest of time, it will be normal for everybody to just mask up.
1: There's a lot of people, especially out here, who are kind of, they're the same idea as the 1919 flu pandemic had the anti-mask league, right? There's the people who are like, you can't tell me what to do, whatever, I'm not going to wear it. And. I think as some of these viruses get worse and more deadly, that problem will probably kind of cure itself. But the other problem with like the TSA and stuff is you still have to take your shoes off when you get on an airplane, when the only one time one person tried to make a bomb out of their shoes and couldn't even get it to work. And we're still taking off our shoes 15 years later. But interestingly, and and Carrie reminded me this this morning when we were talking about it is when we went to Canada and we were flying back you don't have to take your shoes off at Canadian security. They're like, we're not going to do this anymore because we've, you know, run the numbers and this is a worthless security measure. But in the United States, they keep up the kind of security theater to say, hey, we're keeping you safe. Right.
0: Yeah. Also, because the people's feet smell better in Canada.
1: <laughs> so they want to keep their shoes on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, I mean, in the USA, there's all those jokes, right, where they make you take your water bottle and they throw it in the in the bin with all the other bombs. Right. It's a joke, right? It's it's not keeping anybody safe. But once the culture changes, it's changed. Right. You can't go back. And uh, what I'm saying is you can't go back at this point. The cats out of the bag that people could work from home don't have to commute to the office.
0: That's the key. Most, most companies are not going to rehire to the capacity that they had before. And also, they're going to realize that they can get the same work done from home and they can actually trust their employees. I was speaking to a guy at the beginning of this year, January, and I said, why don't you go virtual? Our company has been virtual for quite some time. It's so much more convenient for the employees and for us not having to deal with the space. We still have a space in case the employees want to go somewhere, but like we don't, we don't need a space the size that we had before. And so he said, I really don't trust my employees. So I just spoke to him like two weeks ago and I was like, how's it going with the trust? He's like, I have no choice. I have to trust them now.
1: That's true, right? The other thing is that I think that the way that companies monitor their employees' work is gonna be based on their actual productivity and not whether their butt is in the chair at the office.
0: Yeah, that's the key. The key is you have to trust people to get stuff done and to actually take the right actions. Most people are not focused on that. They're focused on control. They're focused on making sure that someone doesn't take advantage of you. Well, tell them what the outcome looks like. Tell them what the ROI needs to look like and, you know, much more likely to be successful.
1: Yeah. And that kind of brings around another topic, which is for companies who are still open, how do you think they need to kind of pivot or alter their sales and marketing techniques during the pandemic?
0: Well, The key is to be able to figure out who your target market is now, because there are lots of people that are suffering and they won't necessarily be able to afford you now or even in the future. So figuring out, okay, who is the new target market for us and zeroing in on that. So if you're open, make sure you understand who your target market is. And then figure out what your new messaging needs to be to those people, because the messaging of yesterday is not the same messaging. I mean, even Geico is changing their messaging. I mean, everybody's changing their messaging to match the new normal. And there is a new normal. It's not just a buzzword. People are thinking differently now. They're behaving differently now. I was talking to a caterer the other day. and He said, Joe, you know what the world has run out of? I said, let me guess, Purell. He said, no, plexiglass. Oh, my God. All the big companies bought all the plexiglass in the entire universe, and the entire planet Earth. There's no plexiglass available anywhere. So the people that manufacture plexiglass are just like at capacity. They can't manufacture it fast enough. So what's going to happen? Same thing that happened to the PPE. What's going to end up happening is that there's going to be an oversupply of plexiglass, and the price is going to plummet because people are going to get into it. They're like, oh my God, plexiglass! next thing's to slice bread. So don't go for the trends. Don't go for the things that are like, oh my God, that are so hot right now. Instead, think about what's long-term. Think about where you want to be three, five, 10 years from now and double down on that but with a new target market and a new message.
1: All right. I got to talk about caterers. My friend Cal has a catering company and they do uh, Sri Lankan catering kind of an interesting thing; He's The only Sri Lankan caterer in Oregon, apparently. But so he switched to doing dinner boxes. So he just takes orders for like 48 hours and then everybody comes and picks up their dinner boxes the next day. And he does that three times a week. And it was an exceptional, like, his business makes more money than it ever did before. He's increased his business by shifting the market and he actually does less work and he is still catering because people who work like at the hospitals and some of the medical facilities found out like they had a a dinner box or somebody bought one or told them about it. So they called and said, can I get 60 dinner boxes for lunch tomorrow? And so the catering is still happening, but it's all, you know, separate meals. It's not buffet style stuff anymore because that's gone. Right. And. You're not going to have those kind of buffet restaurants anymore.
0: They do have plated buffets, so we'll plate it for you on the buffet. Just tell us what you want and we'll plate it. So they have plated buffets, but I think that it's going to be, like you said, like individually wrapped stuff. That's going to be the hottest thing.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. You know, the stuff about like plexiglass and and PPE and all that, as, as the price gets driven up, more people get into it. Right. And then just like you're saying, once. Once the need starts to dissipate, but the supply is still massive and the price is going to plummet on those things. And, uh, that's going to be a tough position to be in again, right?
0: <laughs> I mean, it's going to be the ups and downs. You're going to have to ride the ups and downs. So what
1: other opportunities do you think there are for businesses right now?
0: Networking is a big opportunity that people are missing out on because they're so in their fear. That's one thing that's massive. Another thing is changing the way that you communicate with your customers People in, traditionally wanted to communicate only face-to-face. Now it's just basically virtual. So understanding the virtual platforms like podcasts and video and social media. For those that don't want to embrace social media, now you have to. You have no choice. Realizing that people are there for authenticity. They want to build authentic relationships with you. So becoming more authentic, You know, not hiding behind your company anymore. Like you used to be able to hide behind your company. Now it's really you have a personal brand and you got to get out there. So all this stuff are becoming much, much stronger when people need to trust you. Then you build relationships with you. So that's something that's really, really powerful.
1: Is your favorite platform still right now, LinkedIn?
0: Yeah, it's definitely my favorite platform because it has the highest organic reach. So if you're trying to reach people without making an investment and paying for advertising, on Facebook, if I wanted to get 5 million impressions, it would cost me $250,000 over the the year to get that. On LinkedIn, it cost me zero.
1: LinkedIn has kind of exploded a little bit with the kind of talking head video, right? Somebody out there said everybody should do it. Now everybody does it. But you know what? As, as much as that has increased, I don't think it's nearly increased as much as I thought it would. Like there's still a lot of room for people to be creating content on LinkedIn. I would say 50 out of my 1200 followers on LinkedIn make content that I ever see. And I've looked at some of the other ones. I mean, they haven't posted since, you know, November and like that. Right. I mean, they just never post anything. And I mean, almost everybody who follows me is a business owner. Right. It's such a wasted, easy way to get your business message out there. And, you know, we had talked before about what is the the, the message that businesses need to be putting out on LinkedIn and stuff like that. Do you think now is it the message? Is it still safety? and how we're going to keep you safe if you do business with us and what we're doing for our employees? Or do you think that the shift has started to switch to people understand that you're going to do that, so maybe it's time to talk about something else?
0: Look, I think that the conversation is alive. The conversation is going to continue to be alive around this. you got to sprinkle in what people are interested in right now. And this thing that people are interested in, so you got to sprinkle it in and have that conversation. People are not sick of it. People are not going to be sick of it. Take a look at what CNN is talking about. Look at the headlines in CNN. Look at the headlines in MSNBC. Vaccine trials show positive early results. Trump officials blame scientists for death toll. You know, people talk about the news. They talk about the weather. They talk about what's going on. So you want to be in the conversation. Does it mean that you can't start talking about what your business does, your specialty? No. Talk about marketing if you're in marketing. Talk about real estate if you're in real estate. Talk about mortgages if you're in mortgages. People want to know what's going on in your industry, but they also want to know how coronavirus affected your industry. They also want to know what time it is. They want to know what's cooking. They want to hear your ideas, your thoughts, your passions. What are you doing to wind down? They want to know about you individually. So connect with people authentically and you'll always have something to say.
1: Yeah, I think that's 100 percent true. A big thing that we've been doing that kind of a shift with our business was we changed all of our messaging from, How do we solve these types of business problems related to things that our company does? And we shifted that to how can we help your business survive right now? Like, what are ideas that you can use in your business to kind of get out the other side of this? Perfect example, talking about social selling, is I was on Facebook yesterday I asked somebody if any of the farm stores were open because we have a bunch of farm stores around where I live. And so a couple of people were talking about it. And one of them was like, yeah, and maybe I'm going to go there right now also. So do you want to stop and have a conversation about my sister's gym? Because they're still closed and they might have to close for good if they don't get something you know, going on. And so we went and met at the farm store and we got our masks and, you know, all that kind of stuff and our kids and everything. And and we're standing like 10 feet apart, having a conversation about how can a gym keep their revenue going to last long enough till the quarantine gets lifted on their business. Right. And that came straight off of social media for me going, do you guys know if there's a farm store open nearby? (laughs) Right. Because I want to go buy some eggs and shit. So, yeah, the social selling is fantastic. Let me ask you one more question. When it comes to social selling and posting and stuff, I keep saying social selling, but you know what I mean? It's because I think that your course was called social selling, right? It
0: was called social selling. Now it's called LinkedIn foundation.
1: There you go. LinkedIn foundations. So I see your videos on LinkedIn. Often you're talking about making like a content library,
0: an asset library and a content calendar.
1: So if you have a content calendar and an asset library, How does that change now? Because I see some businesses that have stuff scheduled out that's still going that was obviously written before coronavirus, right?
0: What I like to do is I like to create a 90-day content calendar. You don't want to go more than 90 days because things need to be relevant. And you could repurpose a lot of the stuff that you had before. But if you have 60 posts in 90 days, I mean, you don't need a million posts. If you have 60 posts in 90 days, that's more than enough posts for you to be able to stay busy, for you to be able to always have something to post. Let's say, for example, you want to post five times a day, every three hours, right? For 15 hours during the day, every three hours you want to post something. So what are the five different types of things that you want to post? Maybe you want to post a video. Maybe you want to post an image. Maybe you want to post a document. Maybe you want to post text only. Maybe you'll want to post like a quote or something interesting or a link or an article reference. So if you have five different things that you're going to post throughout the day and you have your content calendar, the question is, what message do you want to get out there? What do you want to be promoting? And so thinking about the different things that you want to get out there and the message that you want to send out is really important. Most people are not even posting every day. Start by posting every single day. Post something every single day. And you're going to see that you're going to start gaining a lot more momentum and a lot more influence. I would rather post once a day and then engage in the conversation of that post than post once a week and just like nothing happening because the post dies after 24 hours. So you want to make sure that you're, you're there fresh every single day. Do you
1: think that drop-off, because I like on Facebook, the drop-off seems to be about 36 hours and then it's gone. Twitter, it's like seven minutes or something. Do you think LinkedIn is about 24
0: hours? When they say 12 to 24 hours. It depends on how much activity is happening and how much engagement you're getting. The more engagement you get in the first hour, the longer it'll last. But once your post dies, it's dead. It's not showing up anymore. Unless, of course, somebody goes to your post and checks out what's going on. I love looking at your content and I see that sometimes you share stuff, you know, like you recently shared yesterday, you shared somebody that wrote, I'm open for business. When you share something, just note, LinkedIn doesn't consider it a post. So that typically doesn't go to the feed. So you're not really going to get any engagement. I notice that a lot of your content that you post doesn't really get engagement. You know, a lot of stuff don't even have any comments. My recommendation is to build for you directly, so I'm coaching you now, is to build a group of engaged LinkedIn users. You have 1,000 followers now on LinkedIn. Add another 1,000 or add another few hundred that are actually people that are engaged. If you go through your list of 1,000, you'll notice that most of them are not even posting comments. They're not even liking. They're not posting content or anything. Often, more than 40 60% of them are not even on LinkedIn. They're absent. So what you want to do is you want to find those people that are logging in every day, create a group of them, and then add them as your connection. So you'll go from 1,000 to 2,000 followers, but half of your followers will be engaged LinkedIn users. You'll build a real relationship with a percentage of them that get along with you, that are accessible. And what will end up happening is your engagement will skyrocket because you're marketing to people that are actually engaged on LinkedIn. I came up with this idea a couple of years ago, and so I started creating meetups. And today I have a virtual meetup. If you go to AjaxUnion.com slash meetup, you can join. I have 70 engaged LinkedIn users that are showing up to a virtual party. And so that's a great place to meet other engaged virtual LinkedIn users to be able to like and comment on your stuff.
1: Nice. And that's, that's good advice. I like the idea of building a group of engaged users. And you know what? I use LinkedIn a little bit differently than I think a lot of people do. My LinkedIn is predominantly one-on-one conversations, even though I know I I need to kind of post more, but you know, I say that I need to post more, but I'm still posting like once or twice a day, pretty much most of the time on LinkedIn, you know, but I'm doing, you know, eight to 10 a day on Facebook, right?
0: For you, it's more about engagement than posting because you are posting enough times. The key is how can you build more engagement into your posts? And that's number one. Number two is I see that you put some links inside your posts. Don't include links in your posts instead, include them in the comments. Also, I don't see that you necessarily have a call to action on your posts, asking people to engage. You know, ask people to like, ask people to comment. I see that you spend a lot of time promoting your stuff. Pause promoting and tell a story and see what happens. When you start telling a story, you're much more likely to be successful at getting engagement on LinkedIn. If you want more engagement, you have to be engaged. If you want to be interesting, you have to be interested. So get into that conversation whenever possible.
1: I uh, do a lot of engagement on other people's stuff. I need to kind of get onto my own a little bit more also. But you see me, I'm on your posts all the time. (laughs) Yeah, I do. Yeah, I I like to have that one-on-one. I kind of use LinkedIn. I go in uh, like a search for people like guests or the podcast or people who have some kind of information or collaboration that would be good. And then I just talk to them about it. Like I, I don't sell anything to anybody on direct messages. Actually, my profile literally says I won't DM you and sell anything. And that really helped me connect with people a lot quicker because they're not scared of what's going to happen. So talking about when you go to a company, right, and you say you need to be posting five times a day and they're currently posting once a month. What do you think? Like, how does that conversation go?
0: I would ask them if it's important to them to have visibility on LinkedIn. And if they say, yes, it's important, I'll be like, why aren't you posting once a day? I wouldn't say five times a day to a person that's not posting at all. But I would say, you know, why aren't you posting once a day? And often they'll be like, you know, they have lots of reasons. Oh, I'm not sure. I'm afraid. I don't know. what. I don't have time, blah, 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 money, all the things. And so we take a step back and I say, okay, well, do you have a content calendar? Do you have a written strategy? Do you have an asset library? They're like, no, I was like, there's no way that you're ever going to have the ability to post stuff on a regular basis if you don't have a list. So They're like, where do we even begin? And we have a whole story finder module inside our course. So if you go to evergreen.com and you'll see we have a whole thing that teaches you how to come up with your stories. But one of the things I tell them to do is what are the most common questions that people ask you about your expertise? So make a list of common questions that people ask you about your expertise. So if I told you what's a common question that people ask you, what would you say?
1: Common question I get asked actually almost all the time is how often should I be posting on social media?
0: Exactly. And I get questions like, what are the top technologies for LinkedIn? How do I automate LinkedIn? What should I post on my company page? Or should I even post on my company page and not on my LinkedIn profile? What's the difference between an article and a post? What's considered good LinkedIn engagement? How do I get someone to answer my LinkedIn direct messages? How much content is too much content for LinkedIn? What's the best way to optimize my profile? I mean, I can keep going on for hours telling you all the questions that people ask me because I take the time to document those questions. When I get asked something more than once... I take note, I add it to my repository, and now I come up with the best answer for that. That's what most people don't do. Most people don't have the best answer. So coming up with the best answer means you answering it a couple times and getting better and better and better at answering. And once you have your best answer, now you have content you're be sharing even on a quarterly basis. So if you have a list of 30, 60 questions that people ask you over time, and you have the best answer. I mean, that is 60 posts. There's no reason why you can't be posting that once a day for 60 to 90 days.
1: Right. For our clients that we do social media work for, we generally try to get them on a habit of like, we are going to schedule posts on certain days on their behalf. And then they have to kind of fill in the blanks with stuff that's going to go on so that they can have some stuff that's more timely. So it's like, Stuff that, you know, maybe we're going to post for them Monday, Wednesday and Friday, every single week on these platforms. And Tuesday and Thursday, it's their job to post something else. And here's a list of ideas of what they can post. And that common questions one is is 100 percent. I mean, that's what every business needs to be posting or at least articulating, whether it's through, you know, your newsletter or, you know, however it is that you're you're sending that message out. One thing actually I wanted to hit on too that you talked about earlier and we kind of breezed past it pretty quick was that was that I think you said you have 30,000 followers and you sent out a message to like 1,000 first before to kind of test it out, before you send it out and, and kind of craft it again.
0: We have a program called Greeting, Feeding and Meeting. So in order for you to test what works, you first have to be greeting people, see if they respond. And I have lots of different greetings and I'm constantly testing out. So one of the greetings was around toilet paper you know, just greeting people about coronavirus, you know, for me, it was like, oh, wow, I have the opportunity to be able to really connect with people now. So I want to send out a message to 20,000 people, but I'm going to first test it out with 2,000. So right now, I sent over 3,000 messages just in the past couple of weeks to my connections that connected with me in the past 12 months. But then I'm going to go back and send messages to every single connection that I have over the course of the next couple of months. And there's no limit to how many messages you can send out. But there is a limit if you're sending the same message over and over and over. I think LinkedIn will pause you at 50 or so in a day. But my recommendation is to mix it up and segment your connections out in a dashboard. And that's what we do. We work up a dashboard.
1: Are you using a LinkedIn built-in tool to send those messages or are you using some kind of automation tool?
0: Oh, 100% manual. I have an admin going through it because they have to make certain decisions. Who are they? When did I connect with them? Have they messaged me in the past? And I didn't respond? And,
1: you know, so that's the idea. Cool. And and uh, the reason that I kind of wanted to kind of circle around back on that is that's kind of an old school, like direct marketing email trick. I don't know if that's where you originally got into it was if you have a big list, you know, you have 100,000 people on your mailing list, you would send to a thousand people one message and a thousand other people a second message and you would split test those and then whatever the winner is, you split test the headline, like the subject line, and then you split test the subject or the uh, first email line, like the preview line. And then you would do another split test of the call to action. And now you've only sent about eight to 10,000 messages out of your hundred thousand. But then you send the winner to the other 90,000 That's a way to increase the conversion rate. I think they have a fancy term for that now. Don't they call it conversion rate optimization CRO?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Conversion or optimization. It's all about testing. And look, at the end of the day, most people are not testing anything. And if you want to succeed on marketing, marketing is about testing. So the question is, what are you going to test and how are you going to properly test to in order to be successful on LinkedIn? So for us, it's about first figuring out what your goal is. What is your goal? Who is your target market? what is the messaging to that target market and then you're able to take things to the next level from there
1: nice joe is there anything that i haven't asked you yet that you think would help business owners right now through the difficult times we're having
0: what i would say is it could be very overwhelming to use linkedin so if somebody's overwhelmed with linkedin what is the thing they should focus on the most and what i always tell people is depends on what your goal is if your goal is to get on the phone with people Well, you have to be posting and messaging, you have to be posting and and engaging, but it's more important for you to be messaging people because that's how you're ultimately going to get people on the phone. You're not going to post something and get a bunch of people on the phone. That's typically not what happens. If you want to get more visibility, that means you want to get your brand out there and you want to get more exposure, you want to get more inbound leads. Well, probably if you want visibility, you should be posting and posting the right way. And we teach people how to post the right way. And of course, if you want to be building trust with people and build meaningful relationships, Well, the best way to do that is in the comments with engaged LinkedIn users, building meaningful relationships with those people. So it depends on what your goal is. But if your goal is that, then it's very likely that you'll be successful if you take the right activities, because the right strategy will save you a decade. And so understanding what the right activities are, what the right strategies are, and then implementing them and doing it consistently, that's how you're going to end up getting results.
1: That's good advice, Joe. I really appreciate you coming on again. I know it's a busy time for you, you know, just like all all of us agencies out there kind of running ragged, trying to keep all the other businesses going. Right. Yeah. You're doing good work. I appreciate it. Thank you. Keep pumping out that content on LinkedIn because it's really good. You know what? I know some people in the kind of media marketing world complain about like no one wants to see the video of somebody like walking, holding their phone. But those are my favorite ones. When you're just walking around, just like whatever comes to your mind talking about, I like those ones the best. So don't let anybody tell you different.
0: Thank you. I really appreciate you saying that.
1: How do people get a hold of you?
0: Well, the best way to get a hold of me is to go to joelinkedin.com. Follow me. Go to joelinkedin.com. Follow me. Send me a message. Let me know that you saw me here. And if you go to my about section, you'll see my most recent webinar replay that you can watch so you can learn more about how to improve your LinkedIn
1: nice. Joe, I appreciate you being on and we'll talk to you again soon.
0: Thank you. Talk soon. Boom. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Now stay tuned for a preview of our next episode of Digital Marketing Masters.